Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for just being an awesome, awesome, awesome God. I, I, I can't help but express, Lord, the joy that I have in my heart over the fullness to see the love, the, the friendship, and the, the power of Your Spirit working through this church. We ask, Father, that You would continue to move and to touch and to heal. That You would open our eyes through the Scriptures, Father, and that we could see the love that You have given us in Jesus. Help us, Father, to be wise and to be uh, full of the knowledge of You and that You would just do a mighty miracle, Father, today in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you were with us last week, we saw Jesus come on to what was normally called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're seeing that Jesus was leveling with us. He was speaking the truth to us. He was being honest with us. And that we would take an honest assessment of our heart for where we would stand before God. There was, there was a, a lot of people that were part of the in crowd, the Pharisees of the religious circles during the times of Jesus, and then there were those that were excluded. And Jesus was, was talking about it's better to be excluded from the in crowd than to be part of the in crowd. It seems like the in crowd, if you would, is always that group of people that picks on other people, puts other people down. If you want to be like us, then you must do what we do. And we saw how ironic it was that Jesus was picking the grains of wheat and eating them and the Pharisees were picking on Jesus and His disciples, calling it work. And Jesus kind of levels into them, if you would, and talks about their hypocrisy. He gave us some very strong lines about by the standard in which you judge others, you will be judged. It was a stinger. Take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly the speck that is in your brother's eyes. Jesus was saying if you believe in a true faith, then you are a giver. Give and it shall be given unto you. None of us can keep the words that Jesus gave us to do. We all read what Jesus asked us to do. That was His kingdom message. That was what Jesus was all about, was that we'd be honest. And if we take an honest assessment of ourselves, we come up short. I guess we're all hypocrites in many ways. And we have an obligation to turn around and to say, I, I, I want to be either to raise my level of perfection, which is impossible, or I need to lower my words on how I judge everyone else and myself. A true Christian should be a little bit more humble in his approach. We should be more graceful towards others. We should be kinder to say, oh, it's all right, I understand, we all make mistakes. We would be a much better person. But we saw how the Pharisees, and, and really this starts to play itself out as Jesus versus the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those religious leaders. They judged everyone, picked on everybody. And it was almost Jesus versus the Pharisees on how we started to see the blindness, the blindness of the Pharisees. They, they, they were blind to so many infractions of the law in themselves. They glazed over things and they wanted to pick everyone else apart. And Jesus quickly pointed out that 
they had flaws in what King David did is wrong. King David ate the showbread. Lots of Jews throughout history have made huge mistakes. And yet there's a glazing over, this pride that comes in that misses so many mistakes and still judges. There's a blindness in spiritual people that they don't want to admit fault. And Jesus is trying to hone in hard and attack that blindness. And, and you and I should have this concept to say, Lord, what am I blind to? What am I missing? If blindness is so easy for the spiritual leaders to miss, people that are devoted to God's Word, people that can understand the Bible the way the Pharisees do, and they were blind, what makes me so cocky to think that I'm not blind? And for me, I have to constantly reassess myself, to look at my heart and to say, Lord, am I full of pride? Am I blind to so many things? Am I that ignorant? Do I run around and judge everyone? And the truth be known, I do. It's in me. I can watch words just leave my lips and I can say, Ooh, Dave, where's that going? What are you doing? Can't you see the pain which you just inflicted in somebody? And I almost have to do twice the efforts to retract that effort. And Jesus is bringing us to a point of, of going into the fullness of the, the, the gospel, understanding what it really is to walk with him. He says in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, And when he concluded all his sayings. So we're going to go into another passage, another episode of Jesus and we're going to see that he has those things in his mind that continues into this next scenario. He says, when he concluded all the sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And so Capernaum was a little seaport, if you would, off the Sea of Galilee. It's where Jesus did a lot of his miracles. And it says, a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So back up a little bit, and you've got to understand the word centurion. Centurion is not a Jewish term. It's a Roman term. It's a term for a Roman soldier. This guy's the average Joe Gentile, if you would. He's a centurion, a, a, a leader of many other soldiers, and he had a servant. And this servant was very dear to him. So this guy had someone who worked for him, a slave, a servant. And he goes, hey, this guy brings me food. He cooks for me. Who knows what this guy does? But the centurion turned around and says, I like this guy. And so this guy became sick, and all of a sudden he's on his deathbed. He's ready to die. And so the centurion, so when he heard about Jesus, hey, there's some guy running around healing people. There's some guy Jesus out there. He sent elders of the Jews to him, Jesus. So the centurion, the, 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 uh, the, the, the Roman guy, he says, well, I've got to go speak to this Jewish Messiah who's a healer. I've got a friend of mine that's sick, so I'm going to go get some Jews to go talk to Jesus. Sounds like some common sense. And so, he says, when they heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him so uh, to come and to heal his servant. The Jews come to Jesus and they're pleading with him to heal this guy's servant. So, it's a friend of a friend of a friend. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly. Please, 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 please. And they're saying that the one to whom he 
should do this, notice the word there, that Jesus should do this, was, and here's the key word, deserving. So Jesus, please, 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 come and heal this guy's sick servant. We're asking you as a favor. Please, 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 please. This guy really deserves it. Why? It says, for he loves our nation. He's pro-Israel. And he's what? Oh, he's built us a synagogue. So the centurion has dumped a lot of money into Israel. He's pro he's he's pro Israel, he's sympathetic to the Israeli cause, he's an outsider of the Jewish people, and he's saying, Hey, I'm sympathetic. Your God seems to make the most sense out of anything Rome has to offer. Uh, I believe in this. I'll throw some cash your way and we'll build a, a church. I'll contribute to the building fund. And at which point some of the Jews would say, Hey, this is nice. You greased our wheels. I'm going to sit down there and go off and we'll see if we can get Jesus. And they go up to Jesus and they go, Hey, nudge, nudge. This guy, this guy's really worth it. He deserves your special favor because he's given us money. And they think, notice what it says, that, hey, they're earnest. The Jews were sincere. And he says that they actually started to say that Jesus should do this. Now, there's a couple of things that really bother us here because sometimes when we have a concept that we're deserving of God's grace, it leads us to start to become demanding of God. There's a step there. Notice there's some words that say, Jesus, Jesus, I now have a concept. You need, you should do this. You should do this, Jesus. And they're coming up and they're saying, this is something you should do. And I'm going to tell you, these guys are going to start walking on some shifty ground. I believe that there is there is, is is something that's going to be off on this. Secondly, if you were with us a few weeks ago, I'm not exactly sure when it was and what part of the sermon when the leper came up to Jesus, and you could see, you could see the leper came up to Jesus and he said, he says, I know that you're able to heal me, Jesus, but are you willing? And Jesus was, uh, you know, amazed at that, and he says, y- you're right. Hey, I am willing, be healed in, you know, Jesus' name. And so the guy's healed. And you see the miracle take place, and we talked about at that time the concept that God's for us, He's not against us. When we come to God, we talked at the time that He was a sanctuary, a place of rest, like the bird sanctuary. We're not going to get shot at. If we were birds, we could find sanctuary in Christ. And we, when we come before the Lord, we have to find out that God is for us. He's not, he's not shooting at us. He's not attacking us. He's not ripping us apart. God's for us. And we have to come before the Lord and say, you know, God, I'm, I'm coming before you. And God's responding and He's saying, hey, I'm for you. And, and we enter into the presence of the Lord a little bit with fear and trepidation, a little bit of, hey, this is God I'm dealing with but also to know that the powers of God are there to work for me. God loves me. He's willing to heal me. He wants what's best for me. I can come into that place of sanctuary. And yet, notice, if you would, it's almost a a, a contradictory term. Well, now, God, it's not whether or not I can find safety with you. It's now you you better take care of me. You should take care of me because... I deserve it. And this guy deserves it. And he's deserving because he's given money. 
And if there's a God up there, and he sees that this guy's been good, then this God should take care of this guy. And there's going to be a slip there, if you would. So Jesus, it's interesting, he capitulates, he kind of goes along with them. He hears this and he says, Jesus went with them. And when he was ready, already not far from the house. So Jesus is starting to walk there. The Jewish elders are doing their job. All of a sudden, the centurion's hearing that Jesus is heading his way. This guy now, and he's going to turn around and notice what it says. He sends friends. People that he likes. The centurion sent friends to him. And the friends come up to him and they says, Lord, Lord, you're, you're getting the message wrong. He says, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, snap your fingers, and my servant will be healed. And he makes a strong statement. He says, for I also am a man placed under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And, I, and, and this guy has a clue on what authority is. And he's considering himself unworthy. But notice the, the problem. The, the centurion was saying, hey, look, you go and ask Jesus. You're a Jew. Go speak to the Jewish Messiah. You go ask this guy. I understand the power of him. The elders of the church says, well, what you need to do, Jesus, is go see them. Notice, if you would, that the elders came up with a concept that Jesus had to travel to go to this guy. Notice, if you would, it's not what the centurion was desiring. When he found out that Jesus was coming to his house, he turned around and says, no, these guys got it wrong. No, I'll go send my friends to go tell Jesus the right message. The right message is that, Jesus, I see your power, your strength, and your majesty, that you're a commander. And all you have to do is snap your fingers and it will get done. And so he sends his friends to go tell Jesus the right message. And it's interesting, if you would, that the difference between friends and elders are really the elders thought that they could command Jesus to do something. That Jesus, we said, should do something. And it's a mindset with inside of people that can be completely wrong. I don't ever want to be the one that's got to start to tell God what to do. I don't ever want to be the one that thinks that, uh, you know, God, you better do this or else. That type of language is telling me that I'm clueless about who God is. This guy, the centurion, was clued in on what Jesus was. And he says, I recognize, because I'm a man underneath authority, I recognize true authority. All you got to do is snap your fingers. I'm not asking you, Lord, to jump through any hoops. I'm not asking you to come here and to wave your hands and jump up and down and to make something happen. I'm just asking you, Lord, I know I have complete, absolute faith that you are able to do what needs to get done. And I like that. 
And, and, and sometimes we have to see that one of the problems that leads to blindness, putting this into our sermon from last week and this week, that there are certain people that are blind. You can become blind to God when you start to see things in God that aren't there. It creates a blindness in you. How's that? You, when you start to think of being deserving, when you start to think that you are going to, 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 that God should do things, you are going to be blind to what God is doing. And true faith, true faith is, is a dichotomy. It's, it's, it's opposite. It's, it's, it's a contradiction to what, when we say deserving or that we expect God to do things in a false sense. And many people have false expectations. There are true expectations of God, but there are also false expectations of what they demand God to be. And this world is full of people that are shipwrecked because they feel that God let them down because God didn't do what they expected or demanded or thought that what God should do in their lives. Wrong approach to God leads to blindness, people. And if we want to see the true Jesus, it's a matter of having a concept of the authority of God. So there's a persistence, and you're seeing, if you would, that these guys are coming together. And so notice, if you would, to get this together, it says, verse 9, he says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Jesus goes, wow, he's impressed. And if you would, this is the only time it says that Jesus marveled. Well, there's one other time it says that Jesus marveled. Jesus was astonished. Jesus was impressed. And the other time was that lack of faith where he goes, how blind can these people be? Jesus was, wow, this is bad. This is the only time it's recorded as something good where Jesus goes, wow, this is good. It's a pretty good day when you can turn around and have Jesus raise his eyebrow and go, wow, that's it. That's impressive. Dave did that? I don't believe it. When Jesus is taking a step back, he's marveling. He's turning around and he's seeing this guy and he's going, Oh, I'm impressed. This guy, this guy gets it. He's dialed in. He says to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. That's an interesting statement. And those who were sent returned to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Interestingly enough, you could read this, and I suppose if you were looking at this story, I could kind of want to rebuke the guy. If I saw this centurion, I'd go, you're lazy, man. You just want to stay at home. You just want to expect Jesus to just take care of everything. You're not willing to make any effort whatsoever. People are full of what the Bible would term apathy. Apathy is indifference. Who cares? I don't want to lift a finger. And sometimes we can look at certain scenarios, certain people, and see that they're not willing to lift a finger. This guy didn't even want Jesus to come to his house. This guy didn't even want to go talk to Jesus. You would think you could read the story the other way and says, well, the guy really loved his servant. So he prayed and fasted, and then he crawled on his hands and his knees for ten miles to see Jesus on broken glass. And then as he came there, he said, Jesus, heal my servant. And then Jesus would have been astounded and says, well, you went through ten miles of broken glass to see me. I'm going to do something. And yet this guy says, I ain't getting out of my house. You could read it that way. I ain't even going to go talk to him. I don't even think Jesus should come here. If Jesus wants, tell him to snap his fingers. 
you could perceive that as apathy, yet Jesus sees that as the other extreme, as mega faith. And he's saying, wow, this guy believes so much in me, he's seen, that he is trusting me with all the results Jesus could perceive. And then therefore, this is great faith. The opposite of doing a lot was the uh, 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 statement of doing nothing. And, and sometimes in my life, people could be saying, well, Dave, you know, you've you, you got to, I don't know, you've got to pay these bills. Why aren't you out there getting a job? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Well, I believe God's going to take care of me. Well, you lazy bum. Why aren't you out there? If you were out there working all the time, you would be out there doing what needs to get done. And more people need to hear that, I think, sometimes. <laughs> but there is part of us that can say, no, 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 no. I'm putting complete faith and trust in God that He will provide to meet my needs. Oh, that's irresponsible, brother. You're just irresponsible. Well, no, irresponsible would be to have true apathy where I really just didn't care. If I was, I don't really care about my bills. I don't really, just let everything go to collections and who cares, you know. So what, what are they going to do, throw me in debtor's jail? They don't got that anymore. <laughs> now, that's wrong, okay. But faith is something that you're putting trust into. And faith says, I'm working, I'm resting, I'm, I'm going to put everything into Christ, and I'm believing that He's able. And Jesus looks at that and He says, that impresses me. And not only does that impress me, but it gets results. Now, you could argue and say, well, Jesus was on His way there anyway. The effectiveness of the elders was somewhat effective. They had Jesus going in the right direction. But what Jesus is saying is that there is something superior. It's true faith. It's understanding that God is able to take care of us. And, and here it is. Notice, if you would, several things are taking place here. He says, verse 9 again, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not such found such great faith not even in Israel. Now, if you would, Jesus is giving a compliment. He's commending the man, but he's criticizing Israel in the same breath. If you could hear that passage, there is a backhanded insult in the praise of this man. So he's saying, this guy is great. Well, why can't I find that in the rest of Israel would be the other part of that statement. There is a derogatory insult there to say, what's wrong with Israel. Why? Why do we have a Gentile over here, a Roman soldier, trained killer, can figure this out a lot more than my people? And what Jesus is really doing, he says, the Jewish elders, they have demands. They think what God should do. They set themselves up for failure. And my people, the Jews, are blind to what is happening here. While somebody outside the inner circle, some pagan, can seem to figure it out. And what we see, and I like this, is that you're seeing that, 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 that Luke, the writer of this, who's a what? Gentile, he seems to include this bit of information because what he's saying is, hey, you know what? Israel was so blind that they missed their Messiah, but because of their 
blindness, you know, when that opens up the door. And God, who is the true God, is a universal God, and God is inclusive. And listen to this. If I have faith in God, faith becomes a leveler in a level playing field. It's not an in-crowd thing. This reinforces last week's point as well. If it was, God's the God of the Jews, and who cares about the rest of the world? If God's the God of the goody two-shoes, if God's the God of those that are deserving, then you and I turn around and go, I guess that leaves me out. And when when, when we actually start to embrace God, God says, do you believe in me? Do you trust me? And it levels the playing field for you and I to say, Lord, maybe I'm not so deserving. Maybe you are so magnificent and so awesome. I'm unworthy. And if you and I can have that concept as we stand before God and think that God is glorious and magnificent and wonderful and all we have to do is see the power and might and we look at ourselves, which should be happening according to the Sermon on the Mount, to take the log out of our own eye, to give and it shall be given unto you. If we go through all that whole thing, then we can turn around and say, God, I am unworthy. I'm a failure. And if I can just recognize my position before you as a failure, then the love of God is poured out upon me equally, just as deserving as someone who can, you know, give all the money. And you say, Lord, I've got nothing to give besides a broken heart. It levels the playing field. And what you're watching is as all these things are starting to come together, that the Lord is is doing a wonderful work. And what He's saying, He's saying that there's power in the love of God to deal with, listen to this, even with being rejected. So you don't have to come before the Lord to, to, to identify with Him in your successes. You come before the Lord because you can identify to Him, with Him, by your rejections. That's the power of Christianity. That's what makes Christianity superior, I think, to anything else that I've ever seen in a religious form. I can be broken. I can be contrite. And I can say, Lord, uh, I'm not worthy for you even to enter into my house. And the Lord finds that marvels him. He, 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 he responds to that act of faith. But if it's based upon my successes then you're going to start to see that you're going to not be able to identify with the true God. If, it's, if you're thinking that you deserve, if you think you should, if you think, hey, I've given all this and I've done all that, now God, where are you? That stumbles people away from the Lord. And notice, if you would, what happens, and as we're looking at this passage here, you can see that this really is a type of, and it works in perfectly, with the concept of what's happening today as we celebrate what should be going on in Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a time when you see Jesus come making his triumphal entry into the kingdom or into Jerusalem to declare himself to be king. Now, it's a wonderful day. You know, there's a whole bunch of people up there on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is there, and what's happening is basically all these people come up and say, today's the day, today's the day that Jesus is going to finally, you know, declare himself to be king. Jesus is kind of an elusive character for three years, and then he finally comes into Jerusalem for his final week, where at his final week he's going to say, excuse me, I'm God. Now, before this, Jesus is turning around and he's speaking truths. He's 
casting out demons. And some people would say, wow, you're the Son of God. And Jesus would say, shut up, don't tell anyone. And they go, Jesus, what are you ashamed of? You know, well, what's wrong? And there's a message there to say there's a time and a place for everything to happen. And I'm sorry, Daniel prophesied 500, 600 years ago that there would be a certain event that would take place that someone's going to give a decree to rebuild the walls, the prophecy would be. And as that decree went forward, 481 years down to the day from the time that that decree went forward was the day that the Messiah was supposed to be presented. So... On Palm Sunday is the day. The prophets have been, you know, prophesying things are supposed to be happening. God has a timetable. And there was a time that when Jesus walks into Jerusalem, blow the horn, scream as loud as you can, and Jesus is going to say, your king has come. Wonderful things. And, you know, what it turns out to be is that there's a ragtag group of people up on the hill and these group of people seem to be dialed in, and they're saying, hey, let's go get the palm branches, and we call it Palm Sunday. You could actually call it Coat Sunday as well, you know, because they took off their coats and their garments, and they threw them on the path to Jesus, and what they're doing then is they're saying they're rolling out the red carpet. They're taking their coats off, their palm branches, and instead of, you know, the donkey walking through the mud hole, you know, as, as was prophesied that he'd come on a donkey, that he'd be gentle, blah, 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 blah. They're all taking this off, and they're giving Jesus the red carpet, and they're all singing Hosanna, which means save us, which is a term that was meant for the Messiah only. You wouldn't say, hey, can I borrow 50 bucks, Hosanna? You know, like save me from, you know, paying my bills. No, it was something that was reserved strictly for the Messiah. And, and now you've got this ragtag group of people up on the hill and they're going, wow! But Jesus is going, i got a bunch of nuts up here and the heart of Jerusalem is that Jerusalem just doesn't get it. They're blinded by the Pharisees and truly, Palm Sunday, Coat Sunday, is, is, is a day of rejection more than anything else. To see that Jesus was rejected by those who should have gladly accepted Him. And Jesus sits down there and He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, if you had only known that today was the day of visitation, you should have figured it out that your Messiah is here. I would have gladly gathered you as, as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings and Jesus goes, you got your king, I'm declaring myself to be king, and you're sitting down there blind as a bat to what's going on. And what happens as we understand the heart of God, and one thing that's powerful about this is that Christianity excels, excels in being able to handle rejection because it has its eyes on God who is always faithful and never on expecting or demanding or having expectations of what God should do. And unfortunately, what leads to blindness is having false expectations, false, demanding what God should do because we think we are deserving. And what you're seeing as we're bringing out the text today is just another piece of the puzzle that led to the blindness that ultimately led to the complete rejection of Jesus as Messiah. And as we go through the Passover Seder on Friday and you see the things that are presented, you're going, how can you guys miss this? I mean, I'm Johnny Gentile here. I seem to figure it out that you got one smoking hot God in Jesus. 
I like every. I'm I'm not raised in this stuff. I don't know what all this stuff meant as a Jew, but they did. And I think that that reinforces the concept of that rejection. And so, if you would, sometimes it's 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 hard where we can see the things that God wants to do in our life. It's hard to see the things that are happening. And as we sit down there and look at this, we want to say, you know what? Jesus, I, I, I appreciate you and love you for working in my life. I, I need you more today than ever before. And I want to come before you to say, Lord, I'm unworthy. Lord, I love you. Lord, I know I look like it's apathy or I know I look like I'm pathetic. But the Lord shows His grace and His mercy upon me. And that's another whole concept. For us to stand before God and to demand demand justice, I think, would be foolishness. I hope God's just. I want to stand before God and I want some justice. I'm sorry, pal. If you're smart... Do you really want God's justice? Stop and be honest with yourself. Remember that thing that you did? That evil, nasty, stupid thing that you did? Think of the worst thing that you've ever done. What's the worst thing you've ever done? Do you want to stand before God with that on your on your plate? I mean... I can be blind and think, okay, God, I want justice. I want you to throw all those people into hell and I'm sure you're going to make me shine. And God says, do you really want me to do an inventory of you, Dave? Whew. Justice for you, baby, is that you thrive. And if I'm actually honest with the Lord, I go, you're right. And come judgment day, I don't think it's a day for smoke screens and mirrors and deception and trickery. I believe God's a very honest God. And so what it causes me to do is it causes me to beg for God's mercy. And I need to sit down and say, Lord, come judgment day, I pray that you're a merciful God. Don't give me what I deserve. Throw all that aside. Show me some mercy. Be kind. Be merciful to me. We're begging for that. And the truth of the matter is, is God doesn't even give us mercy. He turns around and gives us what we call in the New Testament grace. He's not only saying, Dave, I'm not going to give you the punishment. I'm going to spare you things, but I'm also going to bless you with things. And I'm going to give you an abundant, joyful life. I'm going to give you the streets of gold in paradise. I'm going to take all your pain and wrap it around you. I know you deserve to burn in hell, Dave, but I'm a loving, benevolent God that cares for you. And I'm going to show you blessings and pleasures and wonderful things to make your life better than ever. And at that point, we turn around and we go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And as Jesus can identify with the rejection, if we've been rejected, we need to turn around and have a heart to say, Lord, doesn't throw me into the trash. The Lord's not going to reject me. God is inclusive. He's not exclusive. And on Judgment Day, if you can plead the blood of Jesus Christ and say, look, Father, I'm here, but your son Jesus came into this world to die for me. His blood was exchanged for my blood. I deserve to go to hell. Jesus was perfect and could walk on water. 
And God looks at this and says, I'll exchange the two. I'll take a filthy, nasty Dave Brown and I'll exchange it for my son Jesus who was perfect. So now that Dave Brown can now go to heaven. And I can look at God and say, dude, you're getting robbed. You got the short end of the stick. And love says, I know. It's okay. Because I care about you. And that's the nature of God, that God is loving, caring, and willing. And when it enters into our mind, just the premise of I deserve starts us down the path of blindness. And when we approach the Lord, we say, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, I I love you. I don't want to miss I don't want to be so blind as to miss you coming into my life. And we have an opportunity to say, Lord, I want to, I want to identify with you. I want to make that exchange. I want to be your son, your daughter. All you need to do is just say a simple prayer to identify yourself with Christ and to say, Lord, come into my life. Lord, forgive me of my, my sins. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And at that point, you can be born again to know the true and living God. And you can start to feel free, loved, and the grace of Jesus of truly knowing that all your deepest, darkest sins are washed away. And you can become a new person. Jesus says, hey, if you truly understand, if you understand the things of God, then there's a sense of joy, a sense of excitement. And unfortunately, as we go into this week, This week is a a, a week of, of remembering the dark cloud that followed Jesus. It's a miserable week because it shows us and reminds us the hatred of the Jews, the blindness of the Jews, the hatred of the world, the hatred that's in me. And what this week becomes, as it's called Passion Week, is a time for me to reflect and to introspect. It's a time for me to sit down, settle down, look at my heart, and be reminded of the darkness of the world, the darkness of my heart. And I humble myself before the Lord. And I say, Lord, I want to remember. Yeah, next Sunday's coming up. we got Resurrection Sunday. There's a time to hoot and howl and to say, Woo, great things are going on. But it's a time for me to say, Lord... Uh, This is a week of rejection. And and I don't want to reject you because I'm blinded by what I think I deserve. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come before you as your humble, humble servants. I pray, Father, that we would see the things that are in your, in your pages, Father, in Your Word, that You have spoken to us, Father, for who and what we are as Christians. I pray, Father, that we would not miss something. Father, if we're blind, if our heart is not right, reveal it to us, Father. Help us to see the emptiness that is around us. Father, this world bangs a drum of almost victory that it has conquered you. It brings us weird movies of the Da Vinci Code and things of Judas's Gospel, Father. We don't want Judas's Gospel. We want your Gospel. We want to stand tall with you, Father. We want to be faithful and true. I pray, Father, if there's anybody here that needs to receive you, that today would be the day, Father, 
that they would ask you to come into their heart to simply say a, a prayer to repeat, Father, is just to say, Dear Heavenly Father, come into my heart. Father, I'm a sinner. Father, I need Your Holy Spirit. Father, open my eyes. And Father, for us that say that prayer, Father, we, we pray that we would walk in the newness of You, celebrate who You are, and not miss the obvious that's in front of us. Forgive us, Father, for throwing our temper tantrums for the things that we demanded because we think we deserve. And Father, I pray that our church would be a place that we could find You and celebrate You on a weekly, daily basis. We thank You, Father. We praise You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.